Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. There's a strange thing about being a consultant where people will hire you, you start talking to them, and about an hour later, they'll ask you, Well, what do you think we should do? And it's a surprising question because many of my clients have been at their company for three, four, five, six, seven years, and I've been there for a couple hours. So there's a lot of expectation to kind of hit the ground running. And my experience allows me to hit the ground running. Today on episode 560 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the founder of the product discovery group, Jim Morris. I'm going to ask Jim how his unique experiences enable his clients to use his product discovery process to increase new product success and much more. You can find out more about Jim along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Are you building your own business after a long career as an employed professional? Listen to our show, Going Solo, also found on our website, smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Jim Morris. Jim knows how to build and scale successful products. He co-founded Power Reviews, which grew to over 1,200 clients and sold for $168 million. He product managed and architected one of the first e-commerce engines at online retailer fogdog.com, which had a $450 million IPO. These days, Jim coaches product teams and product leaders at startups and corporations to replicate this success. He's created a custom curriculum and training program that pulls from his 25 years of experience and the best minds in product management. Jim graduated from Stanford University with a BS in computer science. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on. So, Jim, what is the need for product discovery? The need for product discovery is for companies to figure out what to build more efficiently, to save them time and money, and the eventual disappointment that they have when they when their great ideas uh, fall flat with, with consumers and business users. And how do you define product discovery? What is it? We call it, it's a process for determining the value, usability, technical feasibility, and the business feasibility of a solution. So we have a process to figure out if anybody wants it, whether they can use it, whether we can build it, and whether it's the right thing for your business to build. Okay. And we'll, we'll get to the process. How did you come to specialize in this? Oh, I learned it the hard way. <laughs> Which is often the case. Yes. I'm an engineer by training. And my first instinct has always been to build the ideas that come to me. And, and the challenge in the beginning of my career was the speed that I could build it. So how, could, how fast could my teams build the ideas that my clients or my bosses came up with? And what I noticed over the years was, well, some ideas worked and well, most of them didn't. And so we spent a lot of time writing software that nobody used or never saw the light of day. People would change their minds halfway through the process we were writing the software and they'd walk over and ask us to add a feature or delete a feature. And that was really disheartening from an engineer point of view to, to work on something that nobody uses. And I think as I rose in the, to the executive ranks, it was disheartening as an executive to have what I thought were great ideas, but then when the teams built them to have nobody use them. And so over the years, I got exposed to user testing, user interviewing, working with business users and consumers. I went to a, a workshop that sort of put it all together for me. And I had the realization that I had been doing it the hard way. And I spent the 
following year or two, trying these new techniques and fully embracing meeting a hundred customers to a week. You know, I met a hundred customers in one year, business customers, and I relearned my business through the eyes of my customers and their customers. We, we ran a kind of a multi-level to sort of varying customers. And so I came to specialize in it through learning about it, understanding the problems I had before, and then really trying it out uh, with my team and then changing what we were going to build before we built it. And it was so satisfying that everybody in the company could see this because we were very transparent. They could see how we were thinking through our ideas, not just building them. And so the process of testing with users is also a process of transparency. So as you do product discovery and you make it transparent, you get a lot of questions. And I think uh, at that point, I was able to kind of explain how we were building the software, why we were building it, who would use it, why they would use it, and then kind of rinse, repeat. And and that's how I kind of adopted discovery and then became a specialist in it. Uh, first of all, it sounds like really frustrating and demoralizing for the engineers, as well as others around the engineers, to invest so much time, effort, energy, and money into building stuff that ends up not getting used. And secondly, is this is product discovery kind of the integration of market research and engineering? It is, but the traditional form of market research is, is the output is kind of a, it's a long paper. It's sort of a big chunk of research you try to do in the beginning. What we'd like to do with, and we also don't necessarily want to build things in engineering. So we want to use design techniques and design tools to create a facsimile of reality. And we involve engineers not to write code, but we involve engineers in this process to bring that, that technology, that technological innovation. And so imagine you take the market research and you, you break it down into chunks and you take the engineering and instead of really building it, you use design tools to make prototypes and kind of fake versions of it that look real. Um, and we make apps and websites that look real and we show them to business users and consumers and we get them into the mindset. And through that process, we, we combine those, those two areas, kind of meeting in the middle of market research and engineering in that design area. And that's where we do a lot of our work. And uh, my highest performing teams can do this on a regular basis. Instead of, instead of that concept of that bulk market research, we're doing the kind of small experiments, kind of working through our ideas. And so I call it like choosing your own adventure. There was a set of books that came out when I was a kid. And you know, after reading one page, you could go to page seven or page nine, depending on which one you wanted to do. So a lot of my clients will try with market research to build the entire book from beginning to end, even though they really don't know what the end is. And so I like the choose your own adventure part where you do a little bit of work, test it with the world, do some more work, test it with the world, and you end up at a totally different place. Or maybe you're a futurist and you end up at the same place. Most people aren't futurists. Jim, what's unique about the software industry that makes product discovery such an important process? The main uniqueness, uh, unfortunately, is that executives and most people in software companies underestimate the difficulty of making software. Business school and traditional economics really focus on supply and demand, optimizing costs, and branding. You know, how different are the detergents in the store when you go buy them? They're not probably not that different. They probably use a lot of the same active ingredients but the branding is really different or the, the optimization of that supply chain. They call it costing down. 
when a product is successful, how they kind of generate those profits. In software, we're doing so many new things. Teams forget that people may not actually want to do it, may not want this software. And so people, executives and and people in software companies or or software-powered services, they are unprepared for how software is different in that way. It's not a supply and demand or optimizing cost problem. We have a problem of kind of behavioral design and will people actually use it? And I think as another analogy, the hardware firms, when they have a new product like this, when they see that risk, they do a lot of prototyping because they know that that cycle of development could be three to six to nine months long to design something, have it built overseas, have it shipped to America, get it through customs, get it through the supply chain. So hardware companies do a lot of this design work, this fake it to you, make it kind of prototyping to work on ideas because they know they're in a new territory with a new product. Maybe it's a new gaming platform, something else is, or, or, or virtual reality headsets. And so that's how the hardware folks deal with something new. They do a lot of prototyping, but in software, we underestimate the difficulty. We, we underestimate that a lot of what we do with software is new and people may not adopt it. And that it's just really nothing like the other products that people are, are used to or that they're taught about. Mm. So what's an example or a story of a company or a situation where the lack of product discovery ends up with a bad result? Great question. So let's say you've got a really successful company. You're killing it in video conferencing. You're you're growing and growing. And well, you may think I'm talking about Zoom. I'm actually talking about WebEx. And for a long time, we didn't call it Zooming. We called it, you know, let's get on a WebEx. Well, WebEx was this first company to really popularize video conferencing. Cisco Networks bought them, incorporated it into their platform, and as part of their Cisco productivity suite. Well, WebEx kind of died on the vine. As uh, what happens to a lot of companies that get bought by larger corporations, they stopped innovating. They kind of started to optimize cost, costing down, doing a lot of these kind of traditional business school type stuff that I've heard of. So GoToMeeting came into play. GoToMeeting also was successful, but then sold to another company. And so what you have is a company like Zoom that came across, came to a market that we all thought was saturated, but had many more user-friendly features. And when the time came to scale, say, you know, earlier this year when everybody had to work from home, people chose Zoom. It was a natural choice. It was easier to use. You know, keep in mind that WebEx and GoToMeeting also offer very similar features, but Zoom was so much easier to get online, to get started, to get going. Now, Zoom has caught up with the other companies in terms of the enterprise integration. But I would say that for WebEx, especially and GoToMeeting, the lack of discovery is what cause them to not be that choice when when it mattered earlier this year. Yeah, and I guess it's, it can be hard to predict when that time may come, when it matters. Actually, it's not. That time is now for every company. It's so easy to start companies now. The platform's available to you to, to start a Netflix. You know, Netflix uses Amazon for their backend servers. You know, they use the internet for their transmission. They use all the ISPs that connect to our homes for that final mile. And so... If you think of companies as an amalgamation of the tools out there, the tools are so much more powerful each year. So it becomes easier and easier to build products that are competitive with your product. And another example of why the time is now is that 
great ideas often happen at the same time in history. The jet engine was sort of ideated and built by two different teams across the world from each other, you know, in a time when there was no worldwide communications. My company that I started, Power Reviews, was started within one month of our competitor, Bizarre Voice, the one who eventually bought us seven years later. That summer of 2005, neither of us knew about each other, but happened to be, uh, our founders happened to be at a a seminar, an in-person conference together, and we overheard the other company talking about what they were doing. And so the time is now, and and it's for every company, because if you're in a market where you're winning, uh, or there's a potential to win, there's someone else who's thinking about it at the same time. Mm. So what's, what's an example of a company that has done product discovery and it's working well for them? The best companies where product discovery works well are where they take an organic approach to growth. And they think to themselves, I can grow from zero to one, one to two, two to three, and so on. Where instead of planning that they will just get a million users at once, they want to grow one happy, satisfied customer at a time. And so uh, I love the example of Airbnb where the founders took a very hands-on approach and left Silicon Valley, got to New York and started figuring out, well, what was going right and what was going wrong with their hosts and how could they get more hosts on the platform and how could they make the experience more inviting for users who might've been skeptical about renting a stranger's room or a stranger's house. I certainly was skeptical in the early days. And through a process of discovery, meaning paying attention to what users were saying, paying attention to what was working, testing different ideas, they figured out that high quality photography would unlock the the ability for users to trust in going to a stranger's home. And they offered this service to hosts and it boosted the overall service quite a bit and became one of their foundational tenants. And it's still there today is the high quality photography. We know that images are important today's internet. And this is uh, one example where Airbnb used imagery to to get ahead and and win. You know, there was a company called VRBO that was in the same space, uh, vacation rental by owner, before Airbnb got there. And of course, Airbnb has long surpassed them. Hmm. So Jim, so now you have put all of this experience together. You have your product discovery process. In your current business, who's your ideal client? It's it's really that startup trying to achieve product market fit with a new idea. You know, they have no customers or one or two customers. How do they find them? How do they define them? How do they figure out what is the product that fills their need? What's that solution? And then it's a corporation with lots of product teams that's likely transitioning from an IT model of waterfall project handoffs, a focus on deadlines, and just kind of producing software where they want to transition to what you might call a product model, where you're doing collaboration, you're addressing risks in design, not in engineering, where you can save time, and then really being outcome-focused. Product teams need to think like business owners. They need to be thinking about, will this make money? Will this increase satisfaction? A lot of product teams are really focused on just accomplishing the deadlines and the roadmap items that their bosses or clients have handed them. And these don't always result in a win. And so uh, those are the, the two main clients that I see. How do they describe their pain points? Most of them start with total lack of innovation and then a total lack of customer interaction. And of course, that wasn't always the case for these companies. And so helping them kind of unwind that is one of the things I do. I would say that another symptom, uh, another pain point they have is 
a project starts, an idea starts, and then people start jamming a lot of ideas into it. And it becomes kind of a Frankenstein project that misses, misses the original deadline. And it crosses that finish line with a lot of features. It gets released and the release is, is uh, celebrated. But then when nobody actually signs up to it or upgrades to it, people, um, they just kind of chalk that up to, to well, let's, let's get another feature. I might be one feature away from people really upgrading. And so they, again, they talk about the feature rather than what would make people upgrade and really reaching out to consumers or their customers, business or consumer, to figure that out. And so I think the pain point is the, this long Frankenstein projects that miss deadlines, no customer interaction, the lack of innovation. And then what you also see is kind of a low engineer morale because of hard work on projects and products that don't have success with users. You know, engineers, as an engineer myself, we really want to build things that people use and love. Uh, we're not just sort of a factory or, or, or a machine. Can you tell me a little bit about the process that you take them through? Sure, 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 sure. So it's a reflective process. And we often start earlier than my clients think they're going to start. But we also do this reflection quickly and in time-boxed sessions. So the, the process starts with really understanding the journey of our user, what's their goal, and I continuously bring my team back into what does their customer want, business customer or end consumer? What is their need? A lot of my clients want to have more page views so they can sell more ads. Well, that's not a customer need. We often want to accomplish things in one page view. Or if you could text me the answer, that would be better. So getting that, that problem identified is, is, comes next. So talking about who's the, represent, the, the user we want to go after, what's the goal, what's that problem we want to solve. And then what I want to see is, is what are the multiple solutions that we can kind of come up with? Uh, we might take from competitors, we might take from similar industries, but we don't want to hone in on just one solution during this phase. And so getting people to kind of have a stretch solution helps them explore the fringes of their product area, helps them understand, well, where do consumers really, where is their, their point where they get excited or they really don't like you because you're making them do too much work or, or something like that. And so we go to users, we recruit them, and we do some user testing and interviewing with multiple solutions. And typically there's a high fidelity prototype, which looks like a clickable website or app. Or if you're in analysis, it might be a report. Or if you are doing work for developers, like it could be technical documentation that describes the, the API that the developers would use. So it depends on your user, but there's a high fidelity prototype that's believable. We put good content into that prototype. So we, we actually write content, we get real images, we make that prototype come alive. Users can really figure out that it's not real and they can drop out of their mindset. And then you as a, as a software creator, you get to think through all these aspects rather than outsource them to marketing. So the process is, let's create that prototype uh, that's believable, let's get the content that's great, let's find that right user. So we have a screener, we figure out who the, the right user is. It's not usually through job title, it's usually through the behaviors that they do, the responsibilities they have. And let's put them in control of that prototype. Let's make them click through it. Let's make them interact with it. I don't want to show people this is not discovery theater. I want them to interact. And let's get them into that mindset. The mindset's really important. We want users to think back to a time when they had this problem. You know, if we're talking about finding a home construction professional and you're trying to help that customer do that. You might say, well, in the last 90 days, describe an experience with a home construction professional. 
Well, if they can't describe that experience, then they may not be the right person to talk to. And so we often use these types of questions in the screener questionnaire to eliminate folks who don't fit our profile. And we're not looking for, we're looking for people that have a particular need. We're not necessarily looking for a demographic profile. And that's, and once we get that reflection on our ideas, our multiple solutions from our target users who have the right mindset, we have that next step. Do people like the idea? Would they use it? Do we get the sense? Do we gather the evidence that we should continue? Or do we gather evidence that says, hey, time to stop and rethink it? And we have that pivot moment. And ideally, that pivot moment happens every two weeks, like my choose-your-own-adventure story. And by the end of a couple sprints of discovery, you've got a really good sense of what your product is developing so that you can spend that precious engineering time on it. And after going through this process, well, first question I have actually is, how long does it typically take to go through the process? For experienced teams, they'll do this uh, in one to two weeks. For inexperienced teams, they'll start at kind of like four or five weeks. And they'll slowly kind of get it faster and faster. And so with the tools that are out there, you can make these high fidelity prototypes quite quickly. And as teams learn to write their own copy and source their own images, you know, they get just get quicker and quicker at it. Wow. So it's quick. It's very quick. And a lot of the foundational items about finding problems, well, when we find problems, we find lots of problems. We just select a couple. Teams don't have to go back to these exercises you know, in the same three-month period because we've already generated the journey for this particular customer. We've already generated lots of problems. We might just pick another problem and start working on solutions for that problem. Because discovery is about finding the best solution for a given problem. So sometimes we just move into that quick discovery mode where we're just testing lots of different solutions. And we're looking at, well, what are the different types of tests out there? So, you know, there's, there are dozens of types of tests given the, the, the problem you might be trying to solve. So what kinds of outcomes do they typically achieve after this relatively short process? Well, they have a deep understanding of their product. So a lot of my teams, they start with as people who shepherd a concept through a process and they end as subject matter experts. So companies who use product discovery, they build up this sophistication and knowledge in their, I'll say lower level employees, but across the board. And so they feel more comfortable empowering their teams to solve problems when they feel like their teams are talking to customers. Their teams are thinking through ideas thoroughly. So so team, so that's one of the outcomes. I would say from a concrete point of view, they're getting technology-based innovation back in the product because we're using engineers upstream. Nowadays, engineers are often just used in, in agile engineering. They're just used to, to execute other people's ideas. You know, Facebook, Google, these companies were not started by business people who outsourced the ideas to engineers to build. They were started by engineers who came up with the ideas, who used existing technology to change the landscape. And so I think that's where my companies, my clients start to have more technology-based ideas and innovation. And they also, they start to move faster, right? So instead of building that bad idea, they discard it after a couple of weeks. And they spend that engineering time on the, on the good ideas that have evidence that users will like it. And so that's the, the outcome for them is that they move faster. They get to their metrics of higher revenue, higher user satisfaction faster. Jim, how do you think your experience as both an employee and an entrepreneur has informed your ability to help your clients? For me, it's the joy of having done this for 25 years is that I can drop into different industries, uh, industries I've never known, and I can apply this process and understand what the problems are that are blocking my clients from, from success. And so the experience comes 
from failure. It comes from reflection. And it's a pattern matching ability that, um, this serves me well. You know, there's a strange thing about being a consultant where people will hire you. You start uh, talking to them, and about an hour later, they'll ask you, "Well, what do you think we should do?" And it's a surprising question because many of my clients have been at their company for three, four, five, six, seven years, and I've been there for a couple hours. So there's a lot of expectation to kind of hit the ground running, and my experience allows me to hit the ground running. And my experience with literally interviewing hundreds of users over the years, if not thousands at this point, in business, in consumers, in the government space, in a variety of spaces, allows me to translate product discovery to someone's particular business model, you know, transactions, advertising, SaaS, a mixture of them, uh, contracts, a bootstrapping business model, more easily. You know, online you find a lot of examples, but they're mostly about consumers. And so a lot of people think that these techniques are just used for consumer applications and they actually work better in business because business is a more value-oriented sell. For consumers, you know, why do people use Instagram and Facebook? You know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons, but for people who claim that they could tell you, oh, they made these products and they knew people would use them, I think even with discovery, it can be hard for some of these products. But for business products, we can hone in, or government products, we can hone in on the exact problem people have and we can get those multiple solutions. And we know that people will pay uh, money for solutions that solve important problems. So my experience is about translating the product discovery that you see out there in books and online to that company's particular need, because most companies just aren't in that that easily explainable space that you see online. Jim, what's your dream for your business? Oh, I've lots of dreams. I, I think for me, it's it's helping my companies, you know, unlock that innovation again. Seeing employees, you know, get it when they feel more confident about what they're sending to engineering, about what their users will will see. I mean, I think it's really hard for the average employee to extract what a customer needs. They're not given the tools. They're not trained. And so most people kind of ask them, or they get a lot of pressure from their boss or the salespeople, and they don't know how to navigate these conversations. And so product managers, product teams, they're stuck in the middle. So my dream is for these employees to be empowered, for them to be happy at what they do and to understand like if i put this much effort in i'm gonna get this much result out and right now in software people are frustrated they don't they put a lot of effort in and they get no output and so that's one of my dreams um, i have a personal dream of just flexibility and enjoying the different uh, verticals and businesses that i encounter i spent too long uh 10 years in online e-commerce and in product reviews which i loved um, and so i'm enjoying this time where I spend in digital health, API development, machine learning, computer vision, all these great technologies. Well, Jim, uh, I want to thank you so much. We spent a, a lot of time talking about the importance of product discovery when you apply the process that you use with your clients judiciously, what kinds of benefits it produces. How can people learn more about you and your product discovery process? They can visit uh, product discoverygroup.com. That's my website. Um, I post articles every month uh, in the learn section. So if you're just starting through, starting into the process of product discovery, there are some books that I review. There's also articles that I cover. These are all issues that I see in my clients that I anonymize and reflect on and then produce. So that gives you a sense of how I think and also gives you a chance to self-educate if you'd like to, to continue in product discovery on your own. Um, so productdiscoverygroup.com is a great place for that. 
And then I'll also tweet out uh, ideas that I really like in product discovery. And so I, I keep a, a pretty clean feed about this area and what how people can kind of learn more from other folks. And so my Twitter handle is SFJ Morris, like San Francisco, San Francisco Jim Morris, SFJ Morris on Twitter. So those are the two uh, main locations people can learn about what I do. Great. And Jim, is there a free offer that you have for our audience? Yes. One of the things that the clients love is we talk about new concepts, but they often are in the middle of a concept themselves. They've, they've got a prototype they've built and they're doing user testing and they're, they're wondering why it's not working or they want to get some advice on it. And so you can bring your prototype to me. I'll be your prototype doctor and I'll give you some advice about, well, this would be a great thing to test. Here's a big risk. What are you really trying to address here? You want to make your user test shorter. Let's focus in this area. So you can go to productdiscoverygroup.com slash prototype. And on that page will be uh, slots where you can sign up for 15 minutes and I'll, we'll get online together. You'll show me your prototype. I promise to be discreet about it. I'm, I, have a, I have a previous executive, so I know how to compartmentalize the feedback that I give and the ideas that people share with me. And the idea is that I help you um, make sure that your prototype is focused on your biggest risks. And we can do that in 15 minutes. I can take a look at it. I can look at your business and I can give you some starting points and ways to kind of move forward. And, and that's often what I do with clients and it, it brings a lot of happiness and it's really quick. Right. Great offer. Jim, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest has been the founder of Product Discovery Group, Jim Morris. Thank you again, Jim, for joining us. Thanks, David. You have great questions, and it's been, it's been a pleasure to be here. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Jim. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how you can use your unique experiences to have widespread impact as a consultant over an array of industries and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.